welcome to the first real episode of Carefree RPGs podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the different classes of D&D 5e and a bit of a ranking for them. Um, now what's different about this ranking than most rankings is I'm going to be considering the classes sort of role playability and different character ideas you can have as part of the rank. Um, there'll still be a good focus on on uh, combat and sort of the features and that, that the class has, but with also keeping in mind that, you know, how do these features aid you as a player trying to sort of play out this character? So with that, let's just get right into it. So for these rankings, they're going to go from S down to A, B, C, with D being the lowest score a class can get. And I'm just going to go in the order that they appear in the book. And then I'll give each ranking first and then my sort of ramble explanation after. So if you're just looking to sort of see my list, my rankings, um, you can probably go skip ahead to each time you hear me talk about a new class because the, the rank will be right at the start. Which leads us right into the Barbarian. For me, the Barbarian is going to get a rank of D. So sadly, it's the lowest score you can get. Um, the reasons I feel that way are it's, it's great as a melee tank class with the rage feature and the, the damage resistances and that. But outside of that, even with a lot of the subclasses, there's not a whole lot there. Now, with some of the newer subclasses, like the Zealot and the Wild Magic, they are trying to <clears throat> change that a little bit for the Barbarian. But I still think it leaves a lot to be desired. Um, your main mechanic that you're working with is Rage, and everything else just kind of falls flat around it. Like There are some good features that are, are good mechanically but as i said with the intro you know how do you role play a barbarian it's it can be tough right there's there's really one sort of archetype of the roaming you know left my clan behind kind of brutish character and i think that really hampers your role play options as a barbarian when you especially when you compare it to other classes right like a bard you can have a sing-song bard who's a full caster. You can have, you know, a sword bard uh, with rogue. Same thing. They can have swashbuckler, the mastermind, etc., etc. I think they renamed mastermind to something else. I can't remember what that is quite right now. But the barbarian, with all of its different subclasses, is still pretty one-dimensional. Like it's always just going to be that melee tank. And so for th for that reason, I've given it the lowest rating because there's no real versatility there and like I said if you're going to be role-playing the barbarian it can be tough right to to come up with an interesting character that isn't just your brooding angry smash and grab so yeah so that's it for the barbarian next up we have the bard now I've given the bard a ranking of S tier I think it's one of the best classes and most fun classes you can play in 5e so let's break that down a little bit. Um, so bards are full casters, right? So you get a full range of magic use. Uh, you get jack of all trades, which is huge. It lets you add half of your proficiency bonus to all skill checks in the game. So this is this is huge in the sense that 
you know, where a barbarian is going to only get proficiency in four skills or a lot of other classes, not only do you get more skills off the bat, but you also then get bonuses to skills that you are not proficient in. So it really lets you kind of tweak how you want your bard to play. Um, along with that, you know, the sort of theme of stealing from other classes, you have your magical secrets, which if you don't know, is a feature that lets you take spells from other classes. Um, so you can really flavor your bard with those new spells any way you want. You want to make your bard kind of witchy, like a, a witch in the woods, similar to a warlock. You know, you can take some of those divination spells or, you know, be more wizardy by taking fireball. It's always a common one. Um, or even more divine, right? By taking spells from the cleric or paladin list, it really, it really opens up your options from a roleplay perspective of how you want that character to be. Now, the subclasses aren't huge when it comes to giving things to the bard. Some of the newer ones really play with your inspiration die and the different things it can do. Um, the most common played bard is usually the College of Lore. It just gives you gives you so much that it's hard to it's hard to turn down, um, but you know the only real sort of different style of bard is the College of Swords. Um, it lets you do blade flourishes and that kind of thing, uh, very similar to a swashbuckler rogue, but you know you have your full casting still, which is what makes the bard so huge. It's you're getting all of this stuff and you're still casting. You know, the same as a wizard or a sorcerer. Um, so that being said, yeah, the bard is definitely easy to sort of come up with unique style characters. It's definitely one of those classes where you could have, you know, more than one bard in your party and it won't feel like you're stepping on each other's toes too much because they're just so versatile and can be so different. So that is why they are S tier. All right, so we are moving on to the Cleric. Now the Cleric is another one that's gonna be going into the S tier for both mechanics and roleplay versatility. Um, so again, another, like the Bard, full caster. Um, now this one, unlike the Bard, doesn't have huge features that sort of define the Cleric built into the main class itself. Um, the cleric is much more reliant on what do domain you choose to get sort of the flavor of your cleric. Um, but the reason it is S tier is because A, you know, the cleric spells are great and the abilities they get are great. But B, when it comes to sort of the role playability and the different options you have, <clears throat> the good thing is, is there's pretty much a deity for everything. So you can just find a deity that fits the kind of character you're trying to play. And not only that, there's probably a domain that kind of goes along with that, right? So you can get a cleric who plays very much like a rogue, you know, with the different domain setups and that, um, but you're not gonna get a, a rogue that can play like a cleric. So it's kind of a one-way street where the cleric, similar to the bard, can reach over across the class lines and, you know, kind of play like a different class. Um, which is why it is S tier. The the spells are really strong. You know, you get your damage dealers pretty early with uh, Guiding Bolt, and there's, you know, the great combo of spiritual weapon and spirit guardians to just be pumping out damage, or you could be sort of more of a, 
a backline caster and just be blowing all your spells for that kind of thing or life domains really strong for healing as well as some other stuff like that um so this is a bit of a shorter one because it's hard to really talk about the cleric without going into each and every domain because there's some that are stronger than others but just the fact that it's so versatile um you know you can get extra attack you can get heavy armor you can get everything a fighter can get maybe not you know the four extra attacks that fighters get but it's still close enough that when you're playing that character you know you could play the cleric very much like a paladin or a fighter depending on what it is you're trying to do um so yeah because of all that it's going to be s tier Next up, we have the Druid. Now for me, the Druid sits kind of in the middle of the pack. No pun intended. Um, they are decent, and they have some cool spells and cool abilities in that. From that standpoint, they're, they're great, but when it comes to playing a Druid and making a Druid character, they can feel very similar, and it's very sort of one-dimensional, with most of the subclasses even being, you know, around nature, and that's the kind of thing you expect from a Druid. But it's just a shame when you see something like a paladin with the order of the ancients, you know, and that has a very sort of fey and nature theme to it. It would be very cool to see the druid have same kind of crossover subclass like that. Because um, even the more unique ones like wildfire or spores, you know, they're still very nature focused and that's kind of the downfall of the druid it can feel like it's somewhat one-dimensional you know you need to be the one who's tree hugging and, and saving nature and that um, that being said they do get kind of one of the cooler abilities in the game with their their wild shape but even that kind of becomes a little bit irrelevant when you have casters who can be be casting polymorph and they not only can they change themselves but they can change the members of the party too so you can make the argument that Polymorph is potentially even stronger than Wild Shape is. But that being said, you know, they're they're decent. The spells are, are fun. The the wild shapes are fun. You kinda have to pick if you're going to go heavy into wild shape or more heavy into casting, which is a bit of a shame. Um, they would probably be too strong if you could cast spells as your wild shape earlier in the game. Um, that would be a really big advantage, but, you know, they say that the hardest character to kill in the game is, in fact, a Moon Druid. Uh, the Moon Druid is the one that has access to um, higher level beasts they can turn into, but mainly it's the, the never-ending health pool. You know, you'd have to land a pretty sweet Disintegrate or Power Word Kill or something to really to really try and knock uh, knock the Moon Druid out. Uh, but that being said, you know, they're they're B. They're the middle of the pack, and they might get better as as more new subclasses come out. Up next we have the fighter. Now I've given the fighter a rank of A, so not quite S tier, but still pretty good. Um, for me, it's up there due to its versatility, as you can see a theme with most of the ones I, I like more than others. Um, I would say the new subclasses that have come out through the various books like Xanathar's, Tasha's, etc. Uh, have really helped the fighter. At least, you know, those subclasses may not be the most powerful, but at least they're very unique. Like the Samurai is one where it's it's pretty cool. You know, it might not be the 
the best subclass you can choose for dealing the most damage or that but it's a very unique flavor for something that you know a lot of people have wished for since 5e has come out versus 3.5 right the base fighter class in the player's handbook is pretty plain like the even the pages it takes up in the player's handbook are a lot less than some of the other classes because it is a very sort of simple you're good at fighting class I am going to be recording an episode where I talk about how to make deep characters and the fighter is a good candidate for that because it is sort of very plain and simple but that kind of allows you to play with the actual character more right like it's very easy to make your fighter and say okay this fighter is going to be a mercenary or something like that but you have the versatility through various feats and other things to really put your own spin on your fighter you know, you might take a feat that gives you extra skills, you might take a feat that gives you extra spells or extra abilities. Um, you could even pick the Eldritch Knight if you really wanted to, to go down the magic road. Um, it's just, it's a very versatile class. And so I th- rank it as an A. It's, it's easy to play. Um, and you know what, you're not doing a whole ton out of combat. And assuming you don't, sort of go down the main trope of oh my fighter's the warrior he's the mercenary you can really actually develop a pretty deep character from the fighter all right up next we have the monk now the monk is an interesting one because it has a lot of flavor sort of in one direction and it gets a lot of features however that being said i'm actually going to give the monk a rating of c so in between the Barbarian and the Druid. Um, And that's because, although it gets lots of features in that, the monk's sort of usefulness mechanically is really subpar. And it has a lot of cool features that play on the kind of, the flavor they're trying to make for the monk. But, you know, they're just not that useful. And so it really is weird to see for me anyways, a a character class that has all this cool flavor and stuff um, be ranked so low because because of its features. Like, you're going to be way out-damaged by by fighters and other spellcasters. And not that damage is everything when it comes to, you know, adventuring, but you just, you don't get that many skills. You're kind of weak in combat. Um, your AC will never be as good as someone, you know, who's got magical armor and that. So it's, it's really, it's a tough class to play. Um, you kind of just need to play it and be okay with the fact that you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be this beast in combat like everyone wishes. You know, you think of a monk and you see all of the extra attacks they get through the flurry of blows and you just want to be punching people and, you know... Maybe like Jason Statham, you're taking on five guys at once and just taking them all down, but you just you don't do the enough damage for that. Nowhere near. Um, you know the the most used feature that or the best feature I guess would be the stunning strike. If you can consistently get it off, then you know that's kind of your your move that you want to be doing all combat. And it's kind of a shame, right? Because it's it could be something cooler than that. And I know through some like similar to some of the other classes through the newer subclasses they're trying to change that up a little bit but you know the monk they've sort of created this very one-dimensional picture 
and I don't really see them making anything that's really going to change that too far from that original picture they had. You know, that being said, it's not a horrible class to play. Just like I said, you need to be sort of mentally prepared that it's you're not going to be the best at anything, really. Like, you might be the fastest because they get a great, you know, unarmored movement speed buff. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's it's a little bit underwhelming. <clears throat> you don't even really get enough key points to use your key abilities that much as they kind of scale. Um, I do really want to play myself an Astro Monk. Um, I, I think that one, although the flavor doesn't really make sense, the mechanics of the subclass kind of make up for what the monk is lacking from a mechanics base. And I, I feel like I could use the base monk class to sort of fill in the, the story in that of the character and then use the astral subclass features to kind of make up for where the monk lacks mechanically. But overall, it is a bit of an underwhelming class, and the fact that you need to kind of piece it together like that to make something that can stay in the fight with other martial classes is kind of, it's a crappy feeling. You know, there's been, in my games, I've had players who play monks, and, you know, by session four, session five, they're kind of thinking about, well, should I play a new character? Or they're kind of running in in hopes that their character will die and they can make something else. And it's just, it's just tough, right? It's just a tough class to play for characters because they kind of really restrict you to this monk of, you know, Cobra Kai kind of feel, Karate Kid. And there's not really much else to it. You know, the Shadow Monk's a little bit interesting, but jumping between shadows and that. Um, so you can kind of feel a little bit roguey, but overall, it's just a somewhat underwhelming. And I think through newer subclasses they're starting to find their way um, but they it's tough because the main class already has so many features that you can't go and be adding tons and tons of features to a subclass for it because then it would just become you know way overpowered and out of balance but kind of similar to another class i'm going to talk about in a few minutes um, you know giving it a power bump may not be the worst thing in the world for it Moving on now, it brings us to the Paladin. And the Paladin, I'm going to give uh, a rank of A, so the same as the Fighter. Not quite S tier, um, because it it's a great class and offers some great versatile options, but I don't think it's quite on the same level as what the Bard and the Cleric can do. Um, that being said, though, you know, you get spell casting, although limited and you don't have a whole ton of spells. And you will possibly be using most of those spell slots for Divine Smites anyways. But it's still nice to just have that option. right? You can really kind of help tune your your character's idea of who they are through the, the spell selection there. And you get all the spells on your list, which is great. So you don't even have to worry about, oh, did I take the wrong spell? That kind of thing. Um, the Sacred Oaths are interesting. Some of them, some of the newer ones are starting to feel similar to some of the base ones. Um, there's a couple that are sort of using air quotes here, dead, um, as in they're not very play, really played that much anymore because there's just better versions of them. Um, the Oath of Devotion is the one that I think of that comes to mind anyways when it comes to sort of subclasses that aren't played anymore. That being said, though, you do get 
a bit of versatility, right, with the Oath of the Ancients, which I touched on earlier, uh, we know with it being a nature theme. It'd be really cool if you could get different oaths that kind of bring in different themes to to sort of play different styles and different mechanics, you know. I don't know what they could do, but I think there's some room there where if they did that, you know, the, the Paladin might get bumped up to an S tier if it can kind of cross lines the same way that the Cleric does. Um, but that being said, it's, it's a good class overall. You get a lot that can help you and your party through, you know, the extra healing and the auras. Uh, but it just, it falls short a little bit when it comes to versatility and the types of paladins you can play. Like if you had a party of all paladins, they'd probably be somewhat similar, even if they're following different oaths. You know, the Oath of the Ancients, which I keep mentioning, is sort of the most unique of them with a really different, you know, fey and nature feel. But overall, it's there. It's a good class, and you can have lots of fun. Uh, it's great one to multi-class in and out of because you get a lot of features early on, and then it just kind of scales from there. So there's there's lots of characters who either dip paladin or uh, will be a paladin and dip other classes. The most popular being the hexblade, right? Getting your charisma to attack and not needing to have strength is huge for a paladin. Um, but overall, it's a good class. Um, so yeah, it has a rank of A. The Ranger. Oh boy, this one is a bit of a mess. I am giving it a rank of C. And I think it's kind of funny that it's actually got higher in my ranking here today than the Barbarian, considering how much of a mess the class is. Uh, in case you didn't know, Wizards has something called Unearth Arcana which is where they release kind of new uh, material they want people to play with and see if they like and then give feedback on. And one of their articles they did for Unearth Arcana was a complete remake of the Ranger base class because they knew that they had kind of had a miss when it comes to the Ranger. That being said, it gets a lot of hate, but it's actually not terrible. Like it's not good, but it's not terrible. And for that reason, I've kind of given it sort of the same ranking as the monk where it's it's pretty one-dimensional and you're feeling a little bit underwhelming when it comes to mechanics uh, everything you have is really just based around your subclasses like the base class you get your spells from it and you know extra attack and that kind of thing but you're you're not really getting any any extra flavor or anything except for the subclasses. And that's kind of the reason I ranked it above the Barbarian, as I know the Barbarian's new subclasses, newer subclasses, do help it play different styles and that, but I think the Ranger ones do as well, and I think they do them a little bit better. Uh, very popular one is Gloomstalker. Um, there's also Monster Hunter, if you want to play sort of a Van Richten style. Oh, sorry, Van Richten is from Curse of Strahd. If you want to play a Van Helsing style character, Monster Hunting, um, there's some there's some flexibility there, you know, on the different kinds of rangers you can play, more so than the barbarian, right? The barbarian you're kind of stuck being a a brute kind of, you know, you're probably dumping charisma, which means you're not going to be very charismatic and speaking much, whereas the ranger, you know, you kind of think of the the nature loving fighter, 
and you think of Aragorn or others like that, uh, I think the Ranger would really excel as a fighter subclass, personally. Um, it would be tough to make it balanced because it could be really strong depending on what features you kept and what you got rid of. But overall, it's kind of a, a class that's in a weird space. Hopefully, similar to the Monk, they can really get things going with different subclasses. But again, right, almost identical to the Monk, the Ranger has you know a decent amount of features already in the base class. So it's tough to give it a whole ton of options through subclasses as you don't want it to become extremely feature bloated. That being said, you know, it's it's a C, it's not it's not horrible, it's not great. You know, and I think none of the classes are horrible. I should I should probably preface this whole thing with that. Um, they all have things they're good at and things they're weak at. But there's just some of the classes, the higher ranked ones that can just do so much more and, you know, for the purposes of this episode where we're kind of looking at you know, actually playing the character versus what can it do. You know, the ranger, it, you're just kind of going to be the same character every time. Not to the point of a barbarian, but like the monk, you're kind of forced to go down this path. And the druid would be here too, in this same kind of category, except for they they get much better features that they can use that kind of make up for the sort of one-dimensional uh, playability that they have. The Rogue. Uh, the Rogue I am going to be giving an A to. I hesitate because they probably could be S, but there's going to be at least one more already going into S and alongside Bard and Cleric. I don't want to have, you know, just a bunch of the best classes listed in S. So yeah, the Rogue's going to get an A and sit along with the, the fighter and the paladin. So the rogue, the big thing for the rogue is it can be tough to sometimes land your sneak attack, but I find the subclasses for the rogue can be so unique and so different that it, it just makes up for that. You know, they get a lot of stuff. They get a lot of skills, a lot of expertise, so you can really plan out how your character is going to be. Like, you can be a rogue bookworm like that totally exists um, and that kind of thing right so the swashbuckler is a great example of having a, a, a more heavy charisma rogue and they've just they've kind of built these different subclasses to have different different sort of feels and flavors to them really 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 well you know I'd give sort of the flexibility of a rogue personality you know like that's going to be s tier um, but the some of the mechanics they have when it comes to combat and that is it's, it is a little bit limited you're going to find yourself doing a lot of bonus action hiding and then attacking or vice versa um, attacking then bonus action hiding and that kind of thing which may not fit the kind of character you're playing um, like if you're playing the the mastermind rogue it's you know it might not it feels weird to do that a little bit because you're kind of using your your mind and your techniques to to sort of see your enemies and plan out their moves and that, and so the the combat for the rogue can feel somewhat one dimensional, um, but it's it's very versatile. The, the skills are great. You can really 
you can really sort of put together an entire person with the rogue, similar to the bard. They have a lot of the different skill options too. It's you're not kind of stuck to the four skills that you get, um, and that really, really comes into play. And for the rogue, especially when you hit level eleven, um, anytime you roll a ten or a lower or lower, it's just treated as a ten. So that really makes those those skills you've invested in really, really, really strong because you can just sort of default the things that you have expertise in to being, you know, 20 or above uh, once you hit higher levels. That being said, you know, the, the Arcane Trickster is kind of the only one that gets magic. Um, it's decent. The, the, the Swashbuckler, like I said, doesn't really have that many features, but really finds a way to pull charisma in that you want it and you then kind of become the party face right You're, there's some classes like the the barbarian and that who who could really never do that because none of their subclasses support it none of the features in their class support it they're kind of stuck in their role whereas the rogue similar to the cleric can kind of branch out um now they can't do it as well as the cleric can which is another reason they're only in a tier not s tier um, but they're still a really good a good class to have up next we have the sorcerer um, for the sorcerer i am going to be putting it as a b tier alongside the druid um, the sorcerer is an interesting class it's nice that you don't have to prepare your spells the same way a wizard does um, but you're pretty limited by the spells you know unfortunately so the wizard is miles ahead when it comes to the, the spell casting aspect. Um, the nice thing about the sorcerer is obviously you get the meta magic. And that's kind of the big boost when it comes to sorcerers and the mechanic side of things. Uh, being able to, you know, extend a spell, quicken a spell, etc., etc. Twinning's really good. Um, that kind of really changes up your spell casting versus a wizard and sorcerer and wizards are always compared side by side because they have very similar spell lists and very similar spell casting abilities um, but for me the wizard is just miles ahead of the sorcerer with what they can do and then equally as disappointing are the sorcerer subclasses you know they play with the the draconic bloodline and the wild magic and that but it's really it doesn't really mesh well and you're kind of you know for the sorcerer i feel that no matter what subclass you take except for maybe the storm sorcerer you're probably going to be casting the same spells you would cast anyways regardless of your subclass choice and so i find where the wizards have the different schools and so you can do different things with the same spells based on what school you're in uh, the sorcerer kind of gets the shaft a little bit that way where you know the draconic bloodline focuses on stuff that other than the wings you know you really don't care about that much um, and wild magic is just kind of random and it's very up to your dm how much it pops up and how it happens and that kind of thing so you can be definitely left out a little bit when it comes to spell casting and as far as the the base class goes you know they don't really get any features outside of the sorcery points and the meta magic that's kind of it you know so it's a very feature light class with full spell casting 
but you have a limit on the spells you know that you can cast. So it's kind of a weird kind of jigsaw puzzle, whereas the wizard, although it's, it is difficult to try and figure out what spells you want to have in your spellbook and that kind of thing, you know, you get you get so many by the end that it, it almost, you know, it's kind of hard to choose the wrong thing. And having the ability to take scrolls and add them to your spellbook is huge. You know, as a sorcerer, you're never going to know more spells than the spells you know. And so it's really restricting that way compared to the wizard. And, you know, it might seem unfair to com constantly compare the sorcerer to the wizard. But like I said, they kind of go hand in hand. And that being said, it's a it's kind of like the fighter. It's a shorter, a shorter discussion because the sorcerer, even in the book, right? It's maybe two or three pages for the entire class. So there's just there's not a lot there. But it's a class like the druid, which it's it's ranked with as a B, that could that could be good through smart subclass design. Like, I feel like they're trying to introduce different flavors of sorcerers, like the shadow sorcerer and that, um, which is good because it, it really needs it and they could really benefit from it. You know, the only upside to the sorcerer is really that it's charisma casting and there's a lot of fun skill interaction with charisma skills. Um, but that being said, again, it's kind of one dimensional where is it, unlike the bard, who is also a charisma caster, the sorcerer feels like they have to take those charisma skills because as a sorcerer you don't get very many skills and with charisma being your your main stat you might take arcana because it makes sense for a spellcaster but it, it can be tough right you're only getting two skills from your class and two from your background so you really need to pick and choose what it is you're going to be using um, to the divine soul sorcerer is a strange exception but it's it's just pulling off of the good spells from the cleric so i don't necessarily even think that the divine sorcerer is a good sorcerer it's just kind of a lesser cleric if that makes sense to people but that being said it is fun to play i've played a couple sorcerers in in 5e and, and they're fun right you get you can really go down that charisma road um, shenanigans road of deception and persuasion and stuff um, but it is like I don't know if I would play another sorcerer I've played two and they were both kind of the same along the same lines and yeah it's just it's there's not enough really there to to keep playing a sorcerer the warlock so the warlock I am giving a rank of B which is really strange for me because it's my most played class in 5e. Um, I actually really like Warlocks. The caveat being is they're really hard to play. Um, they're really limited by their spell slots that they get. I mean, you know, casting, casting two spells a day all the way up until level 11 is brutal considering most D&D takes place between levels 1 to 10. Um, they don't even get any other features, like they don't get their Arcanums or anything until level 11. So with that, you know, they're, they're challenging to play. Um, I really like the versatility they have from their, the packs they make. 
Uh, it's just it's a shame that the spell slots are so limited. Uh, but if you're working with a decent DM, they can kind of find ways to give you more spell slots, whether it be through magic items or something. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say just to give it to them through you know the power of the DM. But there's there's things you can do to make it feel less crappy. Uh, it is nice that they do get them back on a short rest, and there's pretty much always a way you can short rest after each combat. So you do tend to walk into most situations with both of your spell slots. Uh, that being said, though, it is you know like I said, it's very limiting, especially if it's a spell that you cast and there's a save and they make the save. You know that's 50% of your spells that you've just burnt through through one action there, and it it didn't even take hold, right? And that's probably the biggest downside is if you're not casting something like Eldritch Blast, which is a cantrip, but something that is an attack roll like that, where it's kind of more in your control about whether or not it's going to be successful. Like casting a save spell as a warlock is terrifying. Unless you're going to be casting, you know, Hypnotic Pattern, where it's kind of one of the strongest spells in the game. That being said, though, the reason I like the Warlock is they're very different with their different packs. So it's the Pact of the Blade, um, or the Pact of the Tome, or the Chain. Uh, you can really get some some neat stuff. And for me, I think part of the reason that I really liked playing Warlocks is that I've pretty much always played a half-elf warlock, and the half-elf race, as a race, can supplement what you're kind of lacking from the class itself. So maybe my my views of the warlock are slightly skewed by the strength of the half-elf as a race. But like I said, you can get you know hex blades in that. Hexblade is a great was a great addition to the warlock. Um, it's not quite the same as the hexblade class from older editions of D and D. But it's a great class to to dip into if you're if you're gonna be like a paladin or a bard and you're looking for some charisma based stuff to help offset your requirements of of having high ability scores in other areas. It's a really great thing to dip into. But to go full warlock, um, I've done it twice with two different, completely different styles of warlock. One I kind of played up the hag sort of foresty style warlock. Um, and the other one was the traditional sort of from the nine hells kind of warlock with the the uh, you know casting fireball and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're also supplemented a bit by the invocations. There are sort of the main ones you should choose depending on what style of warlock you're going to be. Um, but you do get a decent amount, right? By level twenty, you're getting eight. With probably, you know, I would say maybe four of those are kind of ones you need to take as a warlock, especially depending on what path you're going down. Right, this really applies most to Pact of the Blade. You, there's some ones you really need to get your weapons to be magical, etc., etc. Um, but it's a, it's just, it's a hard. It's probably the hardest class to play well, which is why I know a lot of people don't like it. Like I said, I really like it. I do understand why people don't, but as a class as a whole, it does offer a decent variety of options for styles of warlocks you can play. 
but with the mechanics being very limiting that is why it's sitting at where it is and not not necessarily at an a um so it is it's b tier similar to the sorcerer and the druid it's kind of it really relies on you picking the subclass that you really want um and and sort of making that your character because the base the base class is is good um, but like i said the spell slots are is the huge limiting factor as well as early on your invocations are going to feel underwhelming because you have to take the certain ones first in order to be sort of the optimized warlock but that being said it's it's still one of my favorite classes and i may end up playing another one before 5e is up who knows and finally we have the wizard so the wizard is getting ranked in the a tier it's a little bit tough to not put it in s tier because of how versatile the spells are and how powerful the abilities are that the wizard gets that being said though the wizard kind of gets their spells and no other class features kind of similar to the sorcerer that way so the wizard is very reliant on what subclass you choose for any other abilities other than your spells. The really cool thing about the wizard is that the subclasses, the different schools available, um, they sort of change how you cast a certain type of spell in some way, uh, which is kind of neat. Um, and as far as role-playing goes, you can kind of, based on the spells you know and the spells you have prepared can kind of play different types of wizards, right? You can have more than one wizard in the party, and they don't necessarily need to feel the same. Um, they'll be a little bit similar due to their lack of skills, right? Similar to the sorcerer, you're only getting two from your class and two from your background, one of which is probably going to be Arcana. Um, and unless you're getting spells, or sorry, unless you're getting skills from your race, you know, you're very limited from that sense in what skills you pick and how that can tie into your character's personality and that kind of thing. So you do tend to see that some wizards can be very similar um, and they can kind of almost lack a personality due to the fact that they're not charisma based. So they're not talking as much perhaps as someone who is charisma based and then they're just casting their spells in combat. It's, it's kind of easy to be sort of you know one of the strongest characters numbers wise but to be kind of the weakest character character wise uh, if that makes sense but they are still like a very powerful class and so a lot of the reason they're in that a group is sort of the power of the spells they can do um, and the the role play aspect is a little bit lacking um, but you know there's lots of examples of different kinds of wizards which i think has really helped the wizards progress since D&D was first created. You know, they were kind of thought of originally as a Gandalf type character, but now with things like Harry Potter and others, there's, you know, there's lots of different, people have a good mental picture in their mind of what a wizard could be. And they can be very different, right? Harry Potter is very different from Gandalf, um, sort of stylistically in that. So there are lots of, lots of good options for being a wizard and they're definitely one of the strongest classes you can pick. So this brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I'm not going to touch on the Artificer because it is still pretty new. Um, I mean, I guess it's not that new. It came out in Eberron and I'm this is coming out in, in January. But still, I think there's, there's more to be had there. It is a little bit 
one dimensional. Um, I do like the difference with the subclasses. The, the Battlesmith is very different from the other ones in that, so it's it definitely has potential. I would say the main drawback from the Artificer, well there's two. One is the spell list. I'm not a huge fan of the spell list, even though it is very similar to the Wizards. And two is it's, it's tough to find different styles of characters to play as an Artificer. You're always kind of that tinkering Tony Stark kind of Iron Man thing. And that's just kind of what's built into the class, similar to the Druid, where it's you're, you're kind of forced down this path. Um, if I did have to give it a rank, I'd probably give it maybe a B or an A, depending on how I was feeling about it at the time. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really going to touch on it more than that here. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Peace.